Welcome back to the Bold and Virtuous podcast, everyone. I'm your host, Denisa, if this is the first time you're joining us. And today we have an incredible, amazing guest joining us. I'm very excited because we have someone, a very, very powerful woman of God, who will be speaking with us about the experience of keeping the faith in times of hardship and even hardship as deep as widowhood, as well as how she found a balance of God and fitness and taking care of oneself. Um, Our guest is Debbie Bateston. I hope I'm saying that right. She'll correct me in a second. Um, But she is a newly married widow, mother of four boys, and co-founder of Mom Sanity, an online motherhood community platform, as well as a personal trainer and fitness and nutrition coach, establishing her own company called Fit With Deb. So Debbie, thank you so much for joining Bold and Virtuous to come and talk to us today. Thank you for letting me be a guest. I'm really honored to be here. Oh, it's wonderful, wonderful to have you. Um, so first of all, why don't you quickly summarize for us um, the process of how it was. Just, just give us a bit of a rundown on who you are, how you found your faith, and what was it that, um, what was the process like of having something as life-altering as marriage and a husband, something many women and many listeners um, really wait for, to, to have it almost pulled from under your feet uh, without warning. How, how did it affect your relationship with God and just give us a rundown of the things that you you experienced. I think I was really blessed to have parents that are very grounded in the Lord. So I remember being a very little girl. I knew scripture before I could read or write. My parents treated Jesus like he was real. It wasn't this Sunday morning experience. It was, of course, he's, of course he exists. Of course we love him. So I feel very grateful that I was raised in this environment that easily led to believing in the Lord as well as following him. Was I a perfect follower? Am I a perfect follower? Of course not. I think I did, especially in high school and college, the typical rebellion where I was a follower in name, but not so much if it was inconvenient. I kind of wanted to play by my rules, be self-sufficient, independent. God, I'll let you know if I need you, but thanks for being, you know, on the shelf waiting. (laughs) So that was kind of like pretty typical for me. I never expected to get married. I didn't want to get married. I didn't want to have children. So it's, of course, anytime we say never to God, he's like, are you sure? Are you sure you're (laughs) never going to do that? And so So I get married to an amazing man, uh, a school teacher, PE teacher. And as soon as we got married, I was like, well, now I want to have children. So it really was God having to overcome my flesh in that area. And I, again, I didn't expect to have a whole litter of children, but had four boys in four years. So it, it was a a very quick, (laughs) quick, crazy time to just be this baby factory, (laughs) always pregnant, always having children, but it was also really good. And I think, you know, once I was done with college and, and became a wife, I think that's when I kind of re- recommitted my my faith and said like okay I really need to be serious about this I need to be a doer of the word not just a hearer 
of the word. So um, it, it was definitely wild having so many little children at once. I kind of felt like a zombie for a long time. And I think because of that, it, it was easy to be selfish uh, as far as marriage goes, kind of me first. And I'm so tired and I'm so this, I'm so that, that I have a lot of regret about how I was as a wife and how I was as a mom. I wish I could go back and redo those earlier days to be better, to show up better, to really bring God glory. And I really feel like I fell short. So it was in 2012 when everything bottomed out. You know, that's when the world turned upside down. I do love that. And obviously, we'll, we'll go forward with that. But before we do, I, I do love what you said about, you know, um, just having one foot in, one foot out with God. I think that so many of us relate to that. I certainly can. And I had my, my teenage years were a bit the same as yours. Like you said, yeah, yeah, God is on the shelf. He's there. I, I'm a Christian, but, um, you know, I'll try a bit of this. I'll try a bit of that. There's nothing wrong with you know, living in the world, even though I'm a Christian, it didn't, it didn't mean quite as much as God intends it to mean. Um, so I do completely relate to that. Um, what would be your advice for anybody that is currently still in that stage? What, how, how do you think that, like, or, or rather, what kind of advice would you give to someone that is like, oh, I don't know which one to choose. And I don't know why? Why should I commit to God fully? Why can't I just have him 50-50 in my life? That's a great question. I love that because I think, you know, we need, I think as adults, we really have to take an accurate assessment of where are our fault lines? Like, you know, like they talk about in California about all these fault lines. Is California going to fall into the ocean? What What is the current state of your life as far as maybe it's marriage, maybe it's money, maybe it's faith related and kind of say, how are things going? Because I think we convince ourselves pretty easily. I'm a good person because I've never committed murder. How is that the standard? (laughs) Not being a murder and therefore I'm a decent human being. I think that there's, we have to be honest. I feel like it's deep within in the, in the quietness when you're all by yourself alone in your thoughts I think God has planted that in us that we're always thinking there has to be more. There has to be something bigger than me. Why am I here? What is this whole universe all about? And I think that God is trying to whisper and we are so quick to stifle that. We we throw the blanket over that. Like, I don't want to hear that. I don't want to hear that I'm a, a bad person, so to speak, but instead to just be honest and say, okay, I'm not sure how I feel about this God thing. You know, I, I kind of don't want a bunch of rules. Just be honest because he already knows anyway. Exactly. And say, you, you know, will you help me? I, I'm having trouble. You know, even the Bible talks about the man who said, I believe, help my unbelief all in the same breath. And so for us to say, maybe I don't know if I believe, help my unbelief mm-hmm. because he he is absolutely out to have everybody believe in him. And, and to be fully sold out. We're here because of him and we're here for him. So in my opinion, it's like, I, I want to fully rely on him. Please don't let it take something earth shattering 
for me to finally surrender to you and give my life over to you. I think it's just a matter of, you know, talking to people who are already Christians, they're obvious Christians who are having fruit in their lives and to say, how do you live your life? How does all this work? And spending time in God's word and, and letting it speak to you. I think that, you know, he really wants us to be drawn close to him. You're absolutely right. Exactly. That's beautiful what you what you said there. And again, I, I totally agree that it is just about taking a step of honesty and sincerity. And it's not and it was the same for me with God. I, I just told him I I don't I don't know how to love you a hundred percent, but I want to and I see that doing it just a little bit is not enough. Um, and he he constantly reminded me I'm a jealous God and I need I need you to be completely mine. And honestly, I still get reminded of that even you know in my in my faith for a long time. He still comes back and like remember that thing I told you. Yeah, um, this is kind of taking my place a little bit, you know, and so on and so forth. It's it's a battle, but it is it is worth it a hundred a hundred percent. And speaking of of battles, because you mentioned about you know. Uh, that first marriage and the difficulties and the kind of almost regrets that you have and the things you would do differently. Well, I do actually have quite a few listeners that are young mothers and, um, you know, that have just given birth or are on their way and newly new wives as well. Um, and for me too, you know, obviously my hope and prayer is to be married someday. What would be your advice as a, as a new wife? What is it that you would primarily do differently uh, if you could do the first thing again? I would really put God first. And that sounds really cliche. It sounds very trite. But I think that what happened was at some point, maybe slowly over time, he drifted into second place. My husband became first place. And I, I don't know if I was just so codependent, if I if I idolized him, if I over-relied on this man. But I think I, I got to the point, especially once I started reproducing of rushed Bible study, superficial prayer time, just like, I don't have time for this. I just got to check the box. Like, come on, you know, I'm too busy for this. I'm too tired for this. Or, you know, I want to spend time with my husband on the couch. And I think we have to be very intentional to push back against that easy drift and say, no, wait a minute. He really has to be number one. I really have to spend time, both quality and quantity, investing in eternity, you know, like I want to be on my knees and actually be the kind of believer that he designed me to be. I think that's where somehow I became, you know, someone who had this lukewarm indifference. And that's really, that's really disappointing to say that I, I let that happen. That's on me. That's beautiful. You know, it's funny because talking about this just shows how much God is in this conversation because I was actually just speaking to God about this very topic this morning. Um, and he told me this a, a while back and reminded me of it again that, you know, because I've been praying for my future husband for a long time now and specifically for the past six, seven years, the Lord's been 
talking to me about him and giving me little dreams and promises and all these beautiful things. And it's been wonderful to hold on to it. But sometimes, you know, I got to a place about last year where I realized I, I began to idolize this idea of what that relationship will look like, of what my, my marriage will look like. And I began, it began to be a bit of an idol. And the Lord started telling me, I want you now to give it all up. Can you do that? And I was, you know, imagine what I had to go through. It was one of the most painful things. And even now when I think about it, I'm a bit like, oh, you know, like, but God literally says, if I told you now that I just want you to be single, can you accept that? Can you trust me that I know better than you do? Um, so it, 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 it is completely what, what you just said, that God always needs to be number one. And as much as we hear it, I think that we don't, it is so easy, like you said, to drift. And it is a drift because if it was like a sudden fall, we would know, wouldn't we? We'd be like, oh, wait a second, what am I doing? But it's always just bit by bit, isn't it? <laughs> Absolutely. I think, you know, it is, you know, for us to really see that he is the source of everlasting contentment, That that's quite a journey. You know, that just doesn't come easily. It's it's so tempting to surrender and then take it back and then surrender and take it back. Exactly. <laughs> for me. Yeah. No, no, you're not alone there. <laughs> but um, to, to go on, what was it that happened, um, you know, in 2013, 2012? How, how did things shift after that? Yeah, so in August of 2012, my sons and I, they were, you know, eight, seven, four, and four at the time, we actually went to my husband's parents' house. They live near the beach. And so it was a nice way to be able to spend time with family and also have a vacation built in. And my husband, Aaron, was going to join us a few days later, kind of be solo, be a bachelor, you know, just have time to himself, enjoy peace and quiet. And so we went down there and we're just having a great time. We're in the sun. My kids are fishing. Just everybody is very relaxed. And that's kind of when the nightmare began unknowingly. I started texting my husband and he wasn't responding. And I thought, well, you know, he's busy. He's doing other things. But the day goes on and he continues to not respond. I mean, it's like 12 hours. And I'm thinking, well, this is kind of rude at this point. And like, am I a nagging wife or are you just being disrespectful? What is the deal? And so finally, by dinner time, I'm telling my, my mother-in-law and father-in-law, you know, I haven't heard from Aaron. I'm kind of worried. And they thought, are you serious? And I said, yeah. I mean, to not hear from someone who would absolutely call us every day and, and talk to our kids and talk to me on the phone, this is just unusual. And so it was probably about nine o'clock I said, okay, I'm, I'm going to give it a few more minutes for him to respond, and then I'm going to officially be worried. And so I went ahead and reached out to a neighbor and said, hey, can I just ask you to go by my house and see if my husband's there? I, I don't know. He's just, he's kind of being rude at this point. Maybe he's just pranking me. And so my neighbor went over there and said, nobody's at the house. His car is gone. Do you want me to try to look for Aaron? And I said, that would be great. I really appreciate it. I'm four hours from home. And... So he did find my husband's car. It was parked behind the school where he worked. And where he worked, he was the athletic director. So he's over all the sports at this school. So it was very common for him to spend free time at the school because there were a lot of jobs that he needed to be doing even during the summer break. 
And so his car is behind the school and he said, but Debbie, I don't, I don't see him. And this is weird. I feel really uncomfortable. I don't know what's going on. I don't want to get murdered in the dark of night. So I need help. Like you're going to have to, to reach out to other people. And so still in disbelief, I'm like, well, it's just a joke. He's probably just playing around with friends and family. You know, the news spread quickly to meet at his car behind the school and just start looking for him, looking around the car, looking around the soccer field and so forth. And so finally, as people are looking, I'm like, this is really serious. This is actually a thing. And so I called the police and said, I feel like I'm in a movie. This is absolutely nonsense, but I think I'm filing a missing person report, which I don't think he's actually missing, but what do I need to do? And very quickly, the police were dispatched and they sent search dogs to the site. And unfortunately, so many people had been around my husband's car. It actually messed up the scent. So they were not able to pick up my husband's scent to find him. And I thought, this is insane. I'm going home right now at one o'clock in the morning. I'm going home. And my mother-in-law said, I'm going with you. So we drove four hours through the middle of the night and arrived back um, in our hometown at 5 a.m. And at that point, they had said a helicopter is on the way with infrared technology. So it's going to try to pick up on some body heat. It'll be a, a, a quick way to find him. So that was delayed for whatever reason. And just pulling into that school parking lot was very eerie because there's this like divided pathway of friends, family, and a lot of police. And I thought, this can't be real. This is just my imagination. I'm like on a movie set. And so we we get out of the car. I'm interrogated by police. And they said, you know, we know your husband loves nature. We know that he likes to go hunting for deer. Do you have any idea where he could be? I said, I have no idea because every time he went hunting, I was at home with our four children. That was my role. And so they, at some point, had pulled everybody out of the woods to stop looking for him because behind the school, there's 100 acres of woods, of farmland that people had been trying to find my husband. He's got to be somewhere around this car and everybody was just unsuccessful. And so as we're waiting and and talking, the sun does start to come up and Aaron's sister said, I'm going into the woods. I'm going to find him. I'm going to find my brother. And so with the gift of sunlight, she was able to start seeing a trail into the woods that for some reason, no one had spotted. And so within, I'm going to say 90 seconds, I heard the most shattering, unforgettable scream of my life. It echoed through the woods. And I thought, oh my goodness, what, what is she? She's found something. And I, I was in so much denial tell me it's not the worst. Tell me he broke a leg. Tell me there was like a fox. I'm thinking of all these possibilities and everybody but me went sprinting into the woods. Just everybody, police, people, and I'm stoic. I I am seeing people run and yet can't process sight. I am hearing footsteps and yet I can't process sound. And within a few minutes, all these friends and family are coming back out of the woods with their eyes to the ground. And I'm looking at them going, somebody tell me something. And they said, we don't know. The police pushed us out. I don't know anything, but I love you. 
And then the famous moment that you always see in movies, the police officer walked up to me and said, I'm sorry to tell you that your husband is deceased. And I, I froze. I froze. It was, it was every, every system in my body shut down where I was like, that's not possible. And I looked at my mother-in-law who is screaming in horror. And I just, I couldn't, I was in cement. I was in drying concrete and, and couldn't move, couldn't process this information. I'm like, that's not possible because don't you know, we're going to die in our sleep at 99. That's the plan. This, this isn't real. This isn't happening. And so it's that moment of hearing those words, such finality, I couldn't understand. And so amidst this chaos, this swirling of emotion, they said, you can't go in the woods right now. We have to bring in detectives. It's a crime scene because there were no witnesses to this, but they were telling me your husband was in a tree and he was setting up his deer stand and he was not strapped in. And so he fell dozens of feet to his death. And I'm like, what? I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. You know, I, I, this can't be real. He, he just fell. It was like this, this slip, this imbalance. I, I can't believe this accident took his life. And it was really hard to believe it was, I, I couldn't, I kept saying in my mind, Aaron is dead. My husband is dead. Aaron is dead. My husband is dead as if trying to make it a reality. And I could not. And so I, as I talked with this wilderness detective and said, I, I want to go back there. I don't, I don't believe any of this. It's too, it's too much. And he said, you're going to have to wait a minute. We have to bring his body out of the woods. And so seeing this body bag brought out of the forest was unbelievable. Again, I, I'm on a movie set. I'm sure of it. And I made the decision to not have them unzip the body bag. They asked me, what do you want to do? And I decided not to, but I did have to lay my hand on his chest on the outside of that bag because I had to feel it. I had to, is it going to rise? I was convinced it was going to rise. I'm like, y'all are wrong. He's not dead. He's alive. And there was no rise and there was no fall. And so that kind of made it more tangible to me. And then the, the detective walked me through this beautiful trail that my husband had made himself in the middle of the woods. He had macheted this whole elaborate path to this beautiful tree. And I stood there in disbelief, looking at how high he had fallen. I could see where his deer stand was, where he had maybe slipped. I'm not, I'll never know. I, I don't even know the date of death that's left as unknown on the death certificate. But in those moments, it is so crushing that I could, I could barely breathe. I could not get past such raw primal emotion. And so I, I just kind of sat stunned. I couldn't talk. I couldn't move. I'm sure people were talking to me or trying to console me and that's really not possible. So that's kind of, that was kind of like the main event. And in those moments, I'm having this inward conversation with God, you know, I'm like, well, you allowed this. You're not surprised by this. You're still seated on your throne. You're not pacing the floors of heaven. We're all going to die, but man, I really thought it was going to be 99, not 35. 
And so I, 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 in those moments, amidst my pain going, I'm honestly jealous. I'm jealous that you're with my husband. He's alive with you. He gets to see the face of God and you get to see his sweet face. I'm jealous in that way. I said, but I'm sold out. I'm yours. Like palms up. I, I'm, I'm no longer driving the bus. You're in control of my life. Wow. You're all I have. So this is it. This is the real deal of me being your follower instead of a fan. And I'm saying palms up. I'll do whatever you want. You're all I have. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. Wow. If you guys could see my face right now, I just, I'm, I'm in shock. Um, I have to say you're an incredible storyteller because you had me right there. I, I just feel like I got transported, but wow. I, I'm first of all, I'm, I'm so sorry. I cannot believe it really is like a movie. Um, you have to admit you, you put it just the right way that the, all the details and everything and the helicopter and all, all of it, I probably would be the same as you though. I'd probably just be in denial. Like all of this is a big joke. Everyone's just going to laugh at the end of it. So that is crazy that, that you had to go through all of that. But what I love and what is so admirable and so amazing, and I have to give glory to God for this because um, he, he, he was able to put such a strength in you to hold you up at that moment for you to actually look to him and say, I, I, I give it, I give it to you and I give you control because there are so many people that do the total opposite and run from God because they're angry or because they get upset or whatever the case may be, um, and it is amazing that, that you were able to hold on like that. Uh, did that remain? Did that hold on uh, for a while? Did you ever have a moment where your faith began to slip uh, after everything started processing? You know, I think it only got stronger because I could see my utter dependence on him. I had to rely on him as a single mom. There, there was no partnership of like, we're shouldering the responsibilities of parenthood that had come to it an abrupt close that I could do nothing about. And so I, especially in those first months, I, I felt debilitated. I could barely walk to the mailbox. That was like my first field trip of like leaving the house, going to my mailbox at the end of my driveway. And so I think I, I kept front and center, I'm sustained by God. Like use this to refine me because I clearly need it. You clearly had to shout to get my attention because I'm that stubborn. And so I think, especially as a mom, I, I had to rely on him instead of this husband to say, you have to be enough. You have to give me the ability to do what I cannot do on my own. And so I'm, I'm very grateful that even though it took this devastation, I was able to more fully appreciate the Lord and how he works and how he uses his body of believers. That's when I really experienced the church in action. I understood on a very real level, the hands and the feet and you know that Bible verse, you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm like, this is how it's supposed to be where they were showing up and supporting us and praying us through this dark valley that we had to go to. Wow. 
That's so beautiful. My goodness. I can imagine what an incredible journey the Lord took you through and, and how much strength, you know, he's been building in you because of it. And, oh, there is nothing more beautiful than allowing the Lord to, to take our trials and our tribulations and, and make them into mountains that draw us closer to him. And I, I love how you took all of the truth that you had and you knew, and you remained with that peace of knowing my husband's with the Lord. And oh my goodness, it was so beautiful that you actually <laughs> felt jealous because he got to see God before you. I mean, who can say that? <laughs> who can say that? You know, because our first thought is, oh my gosh, God, why would you take him from me? But obviously that, that may, may pass through your mind, but it's, it's wonderful to be able to, to think that way because that is how we should think, you know? We have a hope and our, like, like you said, our eternity is what we're heading toward and that is our reason for living and that's the reason we're here. It isn't just for the temporary and for the today and tomorrow. Um, so that is incredible. Again, what would be your advice for anyone going through something difficult? And I can't imagine anything more difficult than, than, than becoming a widow at, at such a young age as well. Um, what, what would be your, your advice or almost your, your word of wisdom to someone going through the same thing? Or even, even someone who may not be going through, through death of a loved one, but something difficult, losing anything that's precious to them, uh, whether it be a job, a house, a, a specific lifestyle, or something that they've been depending on. Like you said, you're dependent on your, on your husband. What, what would be your kind of uh, advice? How is it that you think about loss now, considering what you've been through? You know, I think that there's purpose in pain. I really think that nothing is by accident. And to say, Lord, what am I supposed to learn from this? How, what am I, how am I supposed to live my life? What lessons are you trying to teach me? And what are the silver linings of all of this? So I think that there's some mining looking for, you know, as if you're sifting, trying to find gold in the creek. What is part of this pilgrimage for me personally? And I, and I do, I won't discount relying on friends, relying on the body of Christ, you know, the people you go to church with. Absolutely. That was a major reason I stayed vertical. So I think we need to put out there reach out to others if you need help. If you're going through such hardship, it doesn't have to be alone. We're so quick, I think, to say, I don't want to bother anybody. I don't want to trouble my loved ones. They want to do that. That's why they love you. It's, it's part of what we're called to do is to selflessly love others. But I also think as simple as it sounds, it's also very challenging in those hard circumstances to spend adequate time in prayer, on our knees, praying out loud, studying his word, crying out to him, being real, and, and even how can I praise God? So as much as I was spending so many hours sobbing at a time, I was still saying in my mind, you are still good, even though this is grim. You are still good, regardless of circumstance. You can't just be a good God when I'm on the mountaintop. You have to be that good God in the valley because that's your character. And so I think it's it's hard. I think it helps to already have verses ready 
before the trial. So if we can be anchored in and already be able to quickly recall scripture or have them on little note cards so you're not having to find the verses that apply to your situation, I think that's very a concrete way to help ourselves through that. But just to flood yourself with the truth of who he is and how he is, that's the only way. In and of ourselves, we're so weak. And that's when his strength is perfected. When we say, I have nothing. This is torture. I can't make it another day. And he's like, I got you. I got you. Let Good. You finally surrendered. <laughs> you're so right there. And you're right. It's it's actually being rooted, isn't it? It's, it's being completely rooted in the Lord and in scripture, like you mentioned, that gives us that strength that we do not have on our own. And one, one lesson that God taught me a long time ago and I learned because I kept hitting my own head was don't trust in yourself. Um, because every time I trusted in myself that, oh, I'll be fine. I'll be a good Christian. I'll be a devoted Christian from here on out. It's almost like God allowed for trial to come just to show me mm, you won't though if something shiny comes in the corner you will go after it <laughs> because that's who we are we are we we depend on our flesh we depend on on the physical and we cannot think in the spiritual without god uh so that shows like you said just how much strength we need from him and how weak we are without um, so that is beautifully put. And just to, to end this, although I feel like I could talk to you all day and there are so many more questions I want to ask. So honestly, uh, I may even have you come on another time because this has been absolutely amazing. But I, I have to kind of uh, veer into the present as well. Just tell us quickly a little bit about um, how how it was to to meet your new husband and how you kind of readjusted. What was it with that? Did you ha always have like this promise and you knew God will reestablish a marriage for you or was it a surprise? How, how did that go? I, that was one of my struggles, honestly, was no one would ever want me again. I, I'm in my thirties with four little kids. I mean, let's be honest. That's a lot of baggage. Who want, who wants that? And so I struggled with my significance, my identity. And so I had to learn Everything has to come from the Lord. Stop trying to get it laterally from people. So I think that was a lesson I had to learn. I did not expect to ever like anybody for the rest of my life. I was convinced that the way I was loved in that first marriage was enough for a lifetime. Truly, an amazing, incredible, selfless, godly man. And I thought, well, that's it. I'm going to spend the next 65 years as a widow and the end, <laughs> right? Oh, <wow. laughs> so, so it was definitely a surprise when it was almost an uncontrollable magnetism to a different man. So I did not expect to find love again. And the unusual, bizarre situation is Jason was somebody I knew. Uh, my husband and I both were friends with him. He remembers when I was pregnant with my first child, who that first child is now 19 years old. So Jason and I went way back, so far back that I, I knew his wife when he was first married. So we had done life together. I knew he wasn't a serial killer. And he was such a good friend that the night that everybody was looking for Aaron, 
he was one of those people. And as the police pulled everybody out of the woods and said, listen, something serious has happened. Everybody stopped looking. He said no. And he and another friend refused to come out of the woods because th they said, this is our friend. He's hurt. This is not okay. We want to get there and get help to him as quickly as possible. And so he and this friend looked for over six hours through swamps, through cornfields, trying to find their friend because there was some urgency to this. Let's get him help so that he will be okay. And so I remember seeing him even as, you know, the news became reality and he was found. I, I saw Jason there. He was at the funeral. And that was kind of the <clears throat> catalyst for our, our reconnecting. There were plenty of awesome male friends who said, I'll come clean your gutters. Do you want me to take your kids to go, you know, do manly things? There were lots of guys who really stepped in and stepped up, which was amazing. But there was something about this connection with Jason, which felt weird for both of us. I think we both had a lot of turmoil. He's thinking, this is my friend's wife. And I'm thinking, I just lost my husband, you know, not too long ago. But this goes back to the goodness of God, because I know for a fact that even though people didn't tell me, I know people were praying for us saying, you know, God, maybe there's another man that's supposed to be in their future, you know, to bring help, to, be, to bring support, to bring love. I was not looking for that. But God is bigger He's bigger than our pain. He's bigger than our plans. Mm -hmm. And so it was, again, just something that was so natural to easily fall in love with this amazing man, even though it felt weird. I felt like I was cheating on my husband for a long time. It felt wrong. And I had to kind of wrestle with a lot of that, that guilt. And, but over time, it did become easier. I had to keep reminding myself, you fulfilled the vow. Till death do us part. You did that. You have no future with this man. There is not a divorce where there's a chance of reconciliation. And so over time, I, you know, I would tell Jason, I'm in love with two men, and I don't know how to, how to square that circle. And he said, of course you are. It would be weird if you didn't. And so to have this amazing person that I could cry on his shoulder and say, I miss my husband, and for him to hug me and say, I miss him too. And as time went on, it's so powerful that, that Jason has been able to tell these four boys camping stories about their dad that I never would have known. He was his camping buddy. They would go on all these long trips. He had done a lot of life with Aaron. And so he would say, let me tell you about this time about your dad. And so once we decided to get married, which was surreal to be, you know, having a second marriage, I didn't envision that for my life ever. As a little girl, you never say, I hope I'm going to get married twice. <laughs> never. <laughs> but he has been so noble to treat me the same way Boaz treated Ruth in the Old Testament with such integrity. He never said, oh, you poor little widow, let me, let me rescue you. He was just treating me so kindly and uplifting me and knowing I was a grown adult who could manage without him if I needed to. Mm -hmm. But what he has said is I have a heavy responsibility. What my friend started, it's now my responsibility to finish. And I want to finish it well. He said, I know how Aaron was as a husband, as a father. I know his values. 
his deep love, it's now on my shoulders to continue that and carry it forward, which is a heavy, a heavy lot to get a wife and four children all in one day. He, that says how much he can handle, but what a blessing for me to have been so graciously gifted by God to have married two incredible men, two very different men, but men who ultimately put God first. That, that just doesn't happen. I'm like, I don't deserve that. That again, just points to God is trustworthy and faithful, even when we are not. (laughs) Amen. Amen to that. That is so beautiful. My goodness. I can't, I I don't have enough words or enough time to talk about all the reactions I want to have about this story. I would love to just meet with coffee for you. I think I could just sit all day and just chat to you about all this. Uh, And you have so much to say about, especially as a single woman who is, you know, like Ruth waiting, looking for her Boaz and to, to hear how faithful God can be, even in the most unlikely of places and uh, the kind of stories that you think, oh, they're too complicated for even God to make a way. But look, look how could, could he have found anyone better, seriously. And the way it all just turned out, I mean, oh, ladies listening, I just hope this speaks to you as much as it does me that there is no such thing as impossible with God. There's no situation we can be in where God says, oh, this is, this is too hard. I can't answer this prayer or I can't keep this promise. There is no such thing with God. So, oh, praise God for his faithfulness. Uh, that is amazing. And my last question, my last question, I promise, is um, I know you're also a fitness uh, and nutrition specialist and a trainer, which is amazing because, uh, you know, I, I love fitness as well. So that's another great thing that I, I relate to you. Um, what this, this may seem like an odd question, or maybe it's not but I've had different experiences with fitness um what how do you keep and make sure that um keeping track with your fitness and nutrition um does not overpower your priority with God because it can take a lot of time you know you can just sit and think about workouts all day I've been there um you know what is it how rather do you manage and balance those two to make sure that vanity doesn't come in? Because let's be honest, uh, the world, when you look at the gym and workouts and whatever, people love to show their bodies and be like, look at me, look how amazing I look. And vanity is one step away from that, if not already in it. So what, what, how, how do you kind of keep the balance of keeping yourself pure? I, I love that. I love, you know, you're, you're hitting the nail on the head. It's so true. It, it's definitely uh, easy to, to drift into that as well. And I think the way I've kind of set up my day, I have lots of flexibility, you know, working for myself, I work from home so I can, I can have a lot of adjustments for lots of things. But what I have found for me is if I don't start my day, doing my quiet time with God, the day is a wash. The day is nothingness. It's all, then it becomes all in my strength and for my glory. That is a horrible way to start a day. So I have learned if I don't do it first thing in the morning, I won't do it, which sometimes does happen. So I think getting my priorities straight, what has eternal value? It's not going to be doing a squat. It's not going to be eating a salad it's going to be talking with the savior. That's number one, no matter what. If I never work out again, if, if I live off of pizza, then I'm still doing the most important thing. And then I think after that, 
I try to see workouts. Yeah, it's important to be healthy. I mean, that, of course, but I have to remember I was bought at a price. This is not my body. This is not my own. I'm, I'm his. I'm like, remember that the seal of ownership is not Debbie. It's Jesus. And so I, I'm supposed to, I'm called again. I, I handle it imperfectly, but mm. I'm called to take care of what he's given me, whether it's my kids or this body. And so my hope is I fail often, but my hope is use this as a stress relief Use it to be healthy. Use it so that you can see your grandkids because I have, I've asked God, it would be really great if you would let me live to be 99 so my kids don't have to, to go to a, another funeral anytime soon. That's, again, a selfish request that he may not honor, and that's okay. But to say while I'm here, I, I want to have that energy to keep up with my kids. I want to have a healthy stress outlet. Someone asked me yesterday if, if I've ever coped with with alcohol or pills, whether medicated, you know, prescription or otherwise. And I, I thought that's not a healthy way to handle life. Exercise is a healthy way. Eating right is a healthy way. I think it is easy to slip into vanity. I certainly want my clothes to fit. That's vanity for sure. So I think there is plenty of that that I wrestle with. But I think ultimately I have seen so many of the benefits of how I take care of myself that I wasn't doing when my kids were little. I was not exercising. I was not eating healthy and I felt terrible. And to now be 46 and feel better than I did at 30, there's something to that. Absolutely. Wow. That's beautiful. Exactly. You're, you're right. And that's, that's what I've been telling God as well. I said, Lord, I don't want to let this take over. Um, but I love how you put it, that it's, it is about, um, you know, honoring God with what he's given us. And that's one thing that I've realized myself is I, I've been so much better health-wise and I, I tend to get a lot of migraines and issues like that. And ever since I've been working out more, I just feel stronger. And even though I, I, get, I wake up tired, I don't feel like I'm going to crash within two hours. I actually am able to withstand the day, which is incredible. So yes, you're absolutely right that there are, there are certain things and actions we can do to, to, to take care of what we've been given. But yes, we should always prioritize. And I like that. My, my goal is always, like you said, for me too, is always start the day with the Lord. Um, and sometimes I know we're in a rush or we oversleep, even if it's, you know, five minutes of opening the Bible, just at least say good morning to Jesus. Don't leave the house without saying, hello, Father, I'm here, <laughs> uh, instead of just thinking of ourselves. But uh, unfortunately, that's our podcast today. Do you have anything else that you want to add, Debbie, that maybe we haven't touched on? You know, I think I'd love to share my favorite Bible verse, Please. which <laughs> it comes from Proverbs 31 and it's verse 25. It's the second part, so 25b. But I love that it says she can laugh at the days to come. And that is my hope for all of the listeners, whether they're on the mountaintop or in the valley, she can laugh at the days to come, knowing that God wants us to have that joy. Oh, that's beautiful. I love that. Amen. Amen to that. Well, I am, we have a tendency here at Bold and Virtuous to finish every episode with a prayer. So do you mind if uh, we just pray quickly? 
I love it. All right. Um, well, Jesus, I want to thank you, Father, for this beautiful conversation. And thank you for my sister, Debbie. And I should say my big sister because I feel like I've learned so much from her. Bless her, Lord. And I pray that her story really touches every single person that was able to listen today. And I thank you because you are teaching us how to keep you first, how to trust you, and how to remember that you are a faithful God and you know what you're doing. Therefore, we never need to fear and we never need to worry. Because if you can get Debbie through something so difficult and give her something even better on the other side, then you can do far and even greater things than we can imagine. So in the name of Jesus, we bless you and I bless Debbie. In the name of Jesus, amen. Thank you. It's beautiful. Oh, thank you so much for, for being on the Bold and Virtuous podcast. It's such an honor to have had you here and to, to properly chat with you. I loved it. I feel very privileged and just totally honored. So I'm very grateful. Thank you. Well, thank you guys so much for listening. And everybody, if you want to get in touch with Debbie, if you want to check out her website at debbiewilkinsbasedin.com or if you want to get in touch for fitness, if you have any questions, it's at fitwithdeb.com also. You can find all the links in the description. So uh, make sure that you check them out. So thank you guys for listening. I will see you in the next one. Bye.